So um, we have a very long-standing tradition here at Grace Church that started exactly a year ago this week, this weekend. Um, and it's actually one, though, that I hope continues for a really long time. And each year when Eagle Lake Camp arrives we, uh, and take over our property and put on a top-notch camp for our kids up and down the valley, they have a theme, uh, like a verse, like, a, like one big idea that they use with the kids throughout the week. And uh, th they use this theme to do their Bible studies and their messages. They use this theme to, to craft their conversations with the kids and, and the one-on-ones that they have with campers throughout the week. And so each year on this Sunday, when we welcome all the counselors to our church and we pray for the week ahead, um, we uh, take this theme, that one big idea, and we let it shape our week as well and our worship as well. So one of the reasons we do this is because we're a church that's committed to journeying with our kids on the spiritual journey that we're all on. And what I mean by this is the adults here, whoever you are, you have a vested interest in the spiritual life of our children. All right. So whether they're your children, whether they're your grandchildren, or whether you're just a spiritual aunt and uncle to the kids in our church, uh, we want to disciple the next generation into a lifelong relationship with Jesus that fills their life with hope and mission and joy. But the beauty of being in a family is that that's always a two-way street, right? That's always a two-way street. Kids have plenty to learn from grown-ups, but grown-ups have plenty to learn about the spiritual life following Jesus from kids. So, uh, you know, they need, kids need whatever wisdom and hard-won life experience grown-ups have to offer, but um, we need their curiosity, and we need their wonder, and we need that, that sort of need to understand more about God that kids have when they encounter new ideas, and they, and they start to see the Bible and see the truth for themselves. So, so each year on this weekend, we let the kids take the lead and let the theme and the big idea that's going to define their week define ours too, all right? So the verse that's going to hang as a banner over everything Eagle Lake does in the next seven days comes from Luke 19, verse 10, when Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Lost and found is the one big idea of camp this year, and it is for our worship today too. So Jesus said this towards the very end of his ministry on earth. He said it to Zacchaeus, remember the short little guy who couldn't see Jesus behind the crowd, so he climbed up in a tree and called out to him, and Jesus ended up having dinner with him that night, and the Bible says Jesus brought salvation to his house. This short statement, I've come to seek and save the lost, it stands as sort of a mission statement over everything Jesus did. The whole reason he came to earth, the whole reason he lived and died and rose again, it stands at the heart of Christianity. And uh, he said this at the end of his years of ministry, but he'd been teaching this to his followers the entire time. And especially in some of his most well-known parables. So we're going to look at two of the lost and found parables today. They're in Luke 15. There's actually three of them. If you continue to read in Luke 15, you'll come to a, a third lost and found parable called the prodigal son. So these parables, when you read them all together, which is the way they're meant to be read together, are about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and two lost sons. So we're only going to look at the first two today, but I actually encourage you to go back and read 
all of them together at some point this week because they really do speak into each other and you kind of see more when you read them all together. So we're going to look at the first two. They're in Luke 15, verses 1 through 10. Verses are printed in your bulletin. You can follow along as I read. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man, he receives sinners and eats with them. So he, Jesus, told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Next parable. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me. I found the coin that I had lost. And just so I tell you, there is more, or there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. All right, two big things that I want us to see from these parables. What's it like to be lost? What's it feel like? What's it like? And then what's it like to be found? Okay, we're lost and found. What's it like to be lost? What's it like to be found? And to help us understand what Jesus wants us to understand about being lost, I want to introduce you to someone named Shrek the Sheep. Okay, so in case you're wondering why there's a picture of a sheep in your bulletin, let me explain this to you. Um, I spent a year in college, or a semester in college, studying abroad on the South Island of New Zealand. Okay, so me and Shrek, we come from the same place. He's a merino wool sheep from the South Island of New Zealand. And uh, in 2004, he became a bit of a star because he had avoided being caught and sheared or shorn. I don't know what the verb is there uh, for the previous six years. All right. So six years worth of wool had built up on him. You can see him there. Um, merinos are normally shorn every single year. And so Shrek uh, was really getting kind of overgrown. Apparently, he hid in caves and ravines and he was lost in the roundup of sheep every year for the shearing. Um, this is also why he was named Shrek, because they kept finding him alone in the woods in little crevices. So he's named after the DreamWorks character. Uh, anyway, after finally being found, he was so woolly that his, his shearing was broadcast on national television in New Zealand. Okay, so it's New Zealand, guys. There's not a lot else to do. And um, get this, when they took the wool off of him, it weighed a full 60 pounds, 60 pounds of wool. And out of that 60 pounds, they were able to make 20 men's suits, size large, all right? Um, I'm gonna tell you a little more about Shrek's story in just a minute, but consider what happened to Shrek while he was lost. When he was a lost sheep, what was his life like, all right? Uh, as he wandered away from his shepherd and his home, he became blinder, and more burdened. I don't know if this is where the phrase actually comes from, but the wool literally grew over his eyes. Okay, he, he couldn't see anymore. The perspective and the size of his world continued to shrink until all he could see in front of him was the next patch of grass that he was trying to eat. There was no bigger vision. 
There was no perspective to what his life was actually about. And on top of that, the weight and the burden that he carried only grew and grew over the years. The analogy isn't exact, but it's pretty close to what Jesus is getting at when he tells these parables about a lost sheep. When we are separated from the great shepherd of our souls, when we're lost, we don't thrive on our own. Okay? We weren't designed to thrive solo. We kind of crumble apart. Uh, without a personal, intimate, life-giving relationship with God that guides and orients everything we do, we're aimless. We're purposeless. We, we wander from patch of grass to patch of grass, and our perspective in life doesn't get bigger when we try to do it alone. It gets smaller. We get blinder. We stray into danger. On occasion, we may accidentally stumble onto something that seems to work for a while, but it's not connected to anything bigger, right? The pain and the happiness, the pleasure and the sadness, it comes and goes, but it's not tied to a bigger story. It's just, it is what it is. I just read this essay this week called... Um, uh, by Wendell Berry. I don't know if you guys know of him. He's kind of this agrarian farmer theologian. Um, he's great. But his, the essay is called Health is Membership. And I thought that title is amazing. And this is what he says in it. He says, I believe that community in the fullest sense a place and all its creatures is the smallest unit of health. And that to speak of the health of an isolated individual is a contradiction in terms. Okay, listen to that sentence again. Community is the smallest unit of health. Do you believe that's true? The Bible certainly believes that's true, okay? Um, I would argue, and you can fight me on this, but I'm going to stand by it, I'm pretty sure. I would argue that we live in one of the most individualistic places, in one of the most individualistic countries, in the most individualistic era in the history of our world, okay? We're just kind of loner people out here in the Wild West. I've said this before, but we live in the valley between Independence Pass and what used to be called Defiance, Colorado. Okay, like this is, this is who we are. This is our culture. And Wendell Berry is suggesting that even if we eat organic everything and never let a toxin touch our body, and even if we train 20 hours a week in the mountains and have lungs that can sustain indefinitely, we're not healthy if we're disconnected from community. We can't be healthy unless we're connected in deep ways to God and to one another. Health is membership to a body more expansive than our own physical body. Health is membership to a family more inclusive and diverse than even our own nuclear family. Right? Health is membership to a church, God's global family across nations and generations. And lostness is wandering through our lives disconnected. And from substantial, committed, accountable, vulnerable spiritual community. Lostness is remaining uninvolved in the lives of other people, other believers. Lostness is remaining uncommitted to the life of the church. Lostness is wandering and straying and distracting ourselves from the life-giving word of God and worship with his people. Most commentators I read on this, I'd never thought about this before, point out that the lost sheep in Jesus' parable is a sheep that was just recently part of the shepherd's flock, right? So um, it, it, within the metaphor, the sheep was counted among the community of God's people. And while this image of a lost sheep applies equally well to both Christians and non-Christians, 
The emphasis here might be on those of us who call us Christians, but are still trying to live the life alone and, and doing this on our own. Um, if you're a Christian here today, even a longtime follower of Jesus, this parable might be for you just as much for someone who's never gone to church and never cracked open the Bible. The commands to live as Jesus calls us to live, um, even when they're inconvenient, and the bonds that tie us together as fellow believers, even when they cost us something, these callings to the community of Jesus' family, they don't always feel natural or, or wanted, Sometimes they feel like a burden more than a gift. So we wander from the community that's actually our health. Um, being lost is going astray. Being disconnected from God and his church. And being lost is also being helpless. Okay, this, this actually comes out a little better in the coin, um, the coin parable. Because that coin is lost in some dark corner under the couch, dusty, you know, maybe under like whatever gross sticky snack the kids just ate, like it's, it's back there and it, it's gonna be hard to find, but it cannot do a single thing to help itself, can it? I mean, it can't slowly crawl out, it can't call for help, it can't send up a signal flare and ask for emergency rescue. Um, that coin is totally helpless. Uh, a, a theologian named Robert Capon put it like this, the entire cause of the recovery operation in both stories the shepherds or the woman's, um, is to find the lost. Neither the lost sheep nor the lost coin does a blessed thing except to hang around in its lostness. All right? That's what it's like to be lost. And who among us hasn't felt some of that? And really, all of it, if we're honest. I mean, have you felt spiritually lost before? Disconnected from God, disconnected from his people, um, trying to make sense of life on your own, but without a perspective big enough to see through the forest. That's an okay place to be if that's where you're at now. Because these parables, they're not ultimately about being lost. They're about being found. So let's turn to the good stuff. What's it like to be found? Right, that's what it's like to be lost. What's it like to be found? And, and first of all, this is what we see. Being found means being pursued by a loving, generous God, all right? A lost sheep will never find himself. A lost coin will never crawl out from under the couch. Uh, but our stuckness, our aimlessness and darkness is no match for the pursuing, gracious, generous love of our Father in heaven uh, who has moved heaven and earth to reclaim and redeem his lost ones. Um, and this right here, it's one of the most beautiful things about the gospel. All right, this is one of those things that the more you think about it, the more interesting and shocking and formative it becomes. Thinking about this one thing over and over, it doesn't get more boring like thinking about the same thing over and over does for most things. This gets more mind-blowing, okay? And here's the thing. God places great value and worth on a personal relationship with you. He wants to be with you, specifically you, not humanity in general and a generic like goodwill to humanity. He has one in mind out of the 99 and it's you. Like he loves you enough to move heaven and earth to find you and reclaim you and bring you home. And he has gone on a rescue mission to do just that. We read in Romans, 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not once we've cleared a little of the wool out of our eyes and we can see more clearly that God says, okay, now I'm going to go get Luke out of the darkness. No, it's while we're still sinners and blind, that's exactly when he launches the rescue mission. It's not once we've kind of cleaned up our act enough to feel respectable at church again that he drags us or brings us back home to the flock. It's while we're still shaggy and dirty and rebellious and he plants a square back in the middle of his family and he says, this is your home. All right, help. membership here is health. Don't, uh, don't wander off anymore. This is where the healing happens. This is where you belong in deeper ways than you've ever belonged before. Being found starts with a pursuing, loving God. God doesn't run away from runaways. This God, our God, runs towards them, runs towards us. He pursues us and finds us. The Father's plan, uh, achieved by his Son, now being applied uh, throughout the world through the Spirit, extending this rescue mission, this announcement. When you catch wind of this news, when you hear it, and your heart skips a beat, and you think, wait a second, that's true. I mean, has God, who created everything, moved heaven and earth with me personally in mind? Not humanity generically. You personally. Does God himself long for and delight in a personal, intimate connection with me? Does he want to find me? Uh, more than that, has he paid the greatest cost to make it happen? When his word of love catches in your imagination like that, the yes we cry in our hearts, the, the response of hope, uh, is what Jesus calls repentance in this parable. All right, repentance just means turning. It just means turning from sin to salvation, turning from independence to dependence again, turning from autonomy to membership in God's family. A sinner who repents is the shorthand for every Christian in the history of the world. All right, that's anyone who follows Jesus, that's you. Uh, we are the lost and found ones, the ones who finally stopped trying to make our own way and just accepted the gift of the pursuing love of God. Being found feels like receiving a gift, all right? And all you have to do to start it for the first day of the rest of your life is say yes to the pursuing love of God. Now, don't get me wrong. There's plenty more to do after that, okay? He calls us into his family, and then he calls us into a life following him. But the way it starts at the beginning of a Christian life and the way it starts at the beginning of a Christian day and the way it starts at the beginning of a Christian hour is just to say yes to the gift that God offers. Being found is being pursued by love. It's saying yes to a gift. But the defining thing, the last thing, Jesus wants us to see is that being found is like being invited into the greatest party of all time. Right? The main point Jesus is driving home in these two parables is that when a wandering soul is reclaimed, uh, by the pursuing, generous, costly grace of Jesus, when non-Christians are converted, and when sleepy Christians wake up, okay, when their eyes are opened again, and they say, oh yeah, that's what this life's about. When sleepy Christians wake up, when the lost are found, this is what happens. All of heaven breaks out into a party. Now, the shepherd calls together his friends and his neighbors. He says, rejoice with me. I found my sheep that was lost. And Jesus says, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than the 99 who don't need repentance. He says the same thing about the coin. 
It makes you ask yourself, what do you guys like to celebrate? What do you throw parties for? Uh, birthdays, of course. We throw a lot. We have four kids. We throw a lot of birthday parties at our house. Uh, graduations, weddings, you know, retirements. Janet and I, uh, we don't even drink champagne, but we opened a bottle of champagne on the last night of our quarantine <laughs> just because it seemed like the appropriate thing to do. So we party when we get out of quarantine, and why not? Um, we throw parties for the defining moments in our life, don't we? The things that we want to mark, the things that we know are important that we'll look back on and say, this was key, this is what I want to remember, the big occasions. And Jesus says, lost and found souls are the defining moments of heaven that result in a party. That's what heaven throws a party for, when lost souls become found souls. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents who turns and says yes to the gift of Jesus than the 99 life achievements that don't include repentance. What would it take for us to see the world that way? To value repentance and faith and spiritual growth with that kind of clarity and that kind of joy? What if the most important mile markers in the stories of our lives weren't the cross-country moves we made or the job promotions that we got or... Um, you know, the, the kind of bucket list adventures. What if the things we celebrated the most that we thought um, when we thought about our own story and one another's were the ways that God has been at work finding us and drawing us home and growing us closer to him, healing our anger or our lust or our greed, calling us into a mission at work and at home, the moments when key truths about his love or grace or holiness sink into our hearts from our heads and we get it and it starts to define and change our lives. What if those were the things we threw parties for? And T. Wright says, all heaven is having a party. The angels are joining in. If we don't party too, we're missing out. We're out of tune with God's reality. So as we close, let's go back to our friend Shrek here just one more time, because you need to know how his story ends, right? Shrek became something of a national sensation, as we said. When, he shaved 60, when they shaved 60 pounds of wool off this guy, they did it on national television in New Zealand. But that was just the beginning. You know what happened next in Shrek's little life? He was introduced to the prime minister of New Zealand. He, like, went to tea with the queen, essentially. Um, and then after that, they did all these like TV specials with him. They, they, the next time they shaved the wool off, they did it on a floating iceberg off the coast of New Zealand. Don't ask me why. Again, this is New Zealand, okay? But um, the point is this. Everywhere he went, the party followed, okay? He was like this national sensation of a sheep. So just to recap, this is Shrek's life. And listen closely. A dumb wandering sheep gets so lost that he blinded himself and weighed himself down under a burden that he could never hope to carry. And the longer he was lost, the worse off he became. He was never going to be able to get himself unlost. Until his shepherd cared enough to intentionally find him, bring him home, shear him of the burdens that he carried, and bring clarity and vision to his life again. And because of this epic transformation, Shrek became famous, he became celebrated, and loved. He, he did literally nothing for himself to deserve, to deserve any of the fame and access to rich and powerful people that he enjoyed for the rest of his life. His life was drastically changed by someone else's effort, and he reaped all the rewards. And the party 
followed him for the rest of his life. Okay, that's not sort of like in the ballpark of the gospel. That is the gospel. Okay, that's exactly what has happened to each and every one of you who call yourself a Christian. You get Shrek, okay? Shrek is you. You are Shrek. We are wanderers. We are blind in our sin. We're weighed down by guilt and shame. We cannot fix our, ourselves, but our great shepherd, Jesus, the one who not only seeks and saves the lost, but actually laid down his life for his sheep, he pursued us, he sought us, he brought us home, and he places us in a flock of people where we can actually grow healthy again. And we are included in the membership of God's own family. And the party in heaven follows the church wherever it goes. Jesus transforms his family and then celebrates their transformation as if the single greatest thing, as if it was the single greatest thing that ever happened in the history of the world. You know why? Because it's the single greatest thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. When the lost are found, heaven breaks out the champagne, and that is the joy of God. If you trust and follow Jesus, you are the lost and found ones. You give God delight. He parties for you, the ones heaven are singing for and cheering for even now. All right, that is the thing we want our children to get this week at Eagle Lake, and so that is the thing that we're all going to think about and pray about for them as well. Let's pray for them now. Jesus, thank you um, for being a shepherd who seeks after the one lost one. I wouldn't be here if you didn't seek after me personally, and neither would anybody else. You find your lost ones and bring them home. God, help us enjoy the gift of your gospel. Help us party when the lost are found. Help us um, find health in the membership of your church where you've placed us for our benefit. God, you've given us so many good things and the gospel is so rich. Help us enjoy it. Amen.